Whole Man Academy. Because the world needs strong men. Whole Man Academy is changing the game for men around the world. It's for guys who want to live an epic life of fun and adventure, no matter what. We believe deep down, all men want to go on their own hero's journey to becoming resilient, confident, fearless, and fulfilled. Listening to be inspired by guys who don't settle for living a life of mediocrity. This is your call to action and call to adventure. Are you ready? Okay, guys, use your reminder before we kick off. Remember to subscribe to our game-changing weekly e-letter. goes out to hundreds of men across the world on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Right, let's jump in. Okay, so this is the Whole Man Academy podcast, episode 120, last one before Christmas in theory. My guest today is James Hawes, author, speaker, psychotherapist, trainer, supervisor. Uh, the Secret Lives of Men is the book he has written and we're going to talk about uh, I'm really pleased to have you on because we've connected on LinkedIn and I've looked at a lot of your stuff and I think it's uh, going to be a great message and a great podcast. But firstly, we'll start off with how are you and where are you? Brilliant. Well, thanks for having me on, uh, Anthony. So I'm based in Nottingham um, in the UK. Um, I, I don't range from here. I'm basically born in Suffolk, um, but I'm, I'm good. I'm just uh, just having a bit of a, a, a more of a relaxing day. So I'm kind of looking forward to bits and bobs I've got to do today. Now, I mean, we, we talked about this just before we press record, but the the rise of people either deciding to or, or kind of being forced to work from home and uh, the issues that that can face for, for men. But I just wanted to start off with, um, because I, I thought your stories are interesting, because although um, many years ago you started down this path, when you first kind of in your career, you were qualified as a carpenter. And I wondered for you, at what age were you a carpenter? And how would you have thought when you were a carpenter, if someone has said that, Many years later, you'd be a author, speaker, psychotherapist, trainer. I just wondered what you would have said as the as the young man back then. I think I would have had no idea or no inclination, not a, not a thought in my head about <laughs> the possibility. Didn't even know what a counselor or psychotherapist was at that point. Um, so no, no idea. I mean, I um, I left school at sixteen. My mum, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Hmm. Um, I um, my my mum basically said, "You got to get a job." Um, come from quite a poor working class background she got me a job into a chicken factory so I was kind of doing that for about six weeks you know good money in those days actually <laughs> bizarrely uh, but then I got an apprenticeship um, for a, to become a carpenter and my salary um, was halved <laughs> so um, but that, that so that was the kind of I thought I've got to go out of this factory um, and I wasn't really thinking well do I want to become a carpenter but where I lived, there wasn't that many options, not in my way of thinking at that point. So yeah. uh, and then the, the stories evolved to where I got to where I've got to now. I think it's important always for guys. I mean, you know, we're up to 120 podcasts. So I've you know spoke to guys from all across the world and all different topics. And I love hearing their stories because, you know, most of the men are over, let's just say, 35, 40. And often where they are now is they had no idea they would be where they are at this point. Which reminds you, you know, you'll go through phases where you think you're maybe you're stuck in a rut and you're sleepwalking through life and you can't see, obviously, five years, 10 years into the future and be doing something that's, um, you know, a bit more fulfilling. And I wondered, I mean, we're going to talk a lot about the book, about barriers, landscape for men, but doing the, let's call it being the, the therapist side of it, I wondered for you, how do you keep your own kind of, when I, when I say barriers up, I mean, because if you're hearing, um, you know, sometimes traumatic things from people and, you know, their innermost thoughts. It must be hard, I'm guessing here, but for you also to kind of compartmentalise that and then go home and be like, I'm home, how are you doing? <laughs> sure, yeah, um, uh, that's a very, very good question. And I think um, uh, it's really important in terms of the psychotherapy world that we have kind of um, boundaries and ways of practising that are really important. So one of those things would be we would have to have ethically and um, professionally supervision which right. means that we kind of have to think every at least every month, um, once, twice, how many times to kind of almost download some of this stuff onto another person um, <laughs> to talk about the things that we're struggling. So there's that, that kind of um, I, I can't hold all of this. Yeah. And then, of course, there's that that other part that, you know, personally, you have to kind of be really um, secure in your boundaries and what you do. I mean, writing notes won't be one of those things. You're right. I'm just going to download this on a piece of paper. Um, or it may be, you know, you're having your own therapy, 
Um, a lot of counsellors still are in therapy and, and that can be quite important or other support measures. I'm, I'm, I've been part of a men's group for many, many years. So that's the kind of thing that I would use that in terms of talking about what's going on for me and trying to work out kind of what I'm holding in my body, perhaps, and um, and what I'm unaware of and trying to work some of that out. And the other side physicality you know i mean move that's that and you know unfortunately i've not been moving too much in the last uh few months because i um ruptured my achilles right. um so uh, which usually i'm on a bike you know i'm outdoors doing diy or i'm really into wood you know mm. <laughs> still um but logs you know and but you know kind of uh, stacking and storing as i say you know so all of that kind of stuff i think is really important just to kind of think right I've got to get out of my head and get into my body, as it were. You know, you said the physical side of it, you know, it's been such a common theme. If you had to take all the episodes and pick just a few common things, one of them is like getting out in nature and away from tech and moving your body yeah. to really kind of just help you. I don't know. I know we're going to use the word decompress because a lot of guys maybe don't give themselves that opportunity. But I wanted to pick up on you said about like men's groups. We're recording this off the back of last night was our latest Whole Man Academy dinner. And we, uh, we originally had, I think, 15 or 16 guys. As always, things happen. People have to pull out for reasons. But I think we had 12 guys at the dinner. Right. And a lot of them said, because we live out in the countryside, that none of the guys or only a few of them moved, sorry, lived around here. So when you move here, you basically haven't got any friends. Mm. And if you're then for some of them working from home, et cetera, you're not getting that chance to have the, the, the laugh, the interaction, the banter, whatever you want to call it. One of the guys, I mean, seven of them, one who worked in Formula One, one who worked for Aston Martin, and he's just retired. And he said, I really miss that thing of being in and just spending time with other guys, having a laugh. And I wondered for you, at what point did you start realising not just the value of men's groups, but just kind of act actively getting around them, if that makes sense? Yeah, I, I, well, I think it's a really, again, a really good uh, question and a, a massive issue, I think, for men in terms of friendship, loneliness, isolation, um, men struggling to make friends and keep friends, you know, certainly after 35, I think that's something that we was fairly common and it sounds like you're very aware of. Um, I, I think when I, when I actually, when I trained my, in my therapy um, course, one of the big things about therapy is that, and still I think this is true today on most courses, is that it's mainly populated by women. So there was probably one or two men in a course in, in my day. That was kind of over 20 years ago. Um, and in my head, the only thing I had thought as soon as I had finished my therapy was, my therapy course was, I want to work with men. Right. And I want to create um, a men's group. I need men in terms of being able to connect with them at, at, at different levels. But certainly the men's groups we're talking about, it's kind of very much about trying to develop our emotional fitness, if you like. Yeah. Um, and so at, at that level and have friends at that point, at, at that point. So. I was very clear about that. And that was kind of, you know, I, was, I suppose I was, I was training in my mid to late 30s. Mm. Um, so that's kind of that crucial classic time, really, ultimately. And, and you just said it there, like being in the mid 30s, because, um, you know, I've been asked before about the whole man academy and you can't try and appeal to everybody because, you know, there's the old trying to, you know, try and appeal to everybody, you appeal to nobody. Yeah. And in fact, I remember a couple of months ago, one of the guys contacted me on I think it was Instagram, doesn't matter, and said, oh, you know, you, you talk a lot about it's kind of men over 35. And I was like, that's maybe because in your 20s, I'm not saying that nobody in their 20s has issues at all, but I can understand what it's like to be a father, to go through different careers, that kind of stuff, that in my 20s, I probably, I didn't see those issues arising. And I just wonder if you, I mean, we developed this question of like, what are you seeing as the landscape for men at the moment? Because I think there's a lot of confusion around and priorities are shifting expectations are shifting um can you just say a little bit more about what you mean by that landscape i mean it's a really interesting concept but just say can you say a little bit more yeah and I, well i think um you know the, the big discussion last night was again on the working from home and yeah. the blurred lines also between i mean we laughed because and i have it as well where you're trying to compartmentalize being maybe dad you know at home and then the man at work who then you know, might come out of his office and isn't having the interaction and isn't getting the chance to decompress. 
Yeah, well, I, I think in terms of the, I think it's really interesting in terms of, like, so it, let's just take the, the working from home, because you've already mentioned that sense of kind of isolation. There's a lot of, we've learned, haven't we, in terms of working from home or mm. uh, hybrid um, kind of idea that actually there's a lot of freedom, there's, that we get a lot back, you know, in terms of uh, lack of, you know, down to commute, you know, we've got more time, more connection with the family. So there's there's some real positives here. But I think the uh, the things that we miss is, and you use the word decompress. Mm. Um, I think it's a really interesting thing in terms of even um, the transition um, from work to to home. And I think that that's really, and I in in my um, psychotherapy practice, a, I think that's a really useful um, way of because if we're not aware of what we're carrying from work, and we can just be upstairs or downstairs in our office. Then go into the family, and we've not we've not actually processed that stuff. It's not we've we've not moved it, and yeah. we can almost then easily project or dump it on the family. Yeah. And I think that transition, the, whether we cycle, um, train, car, whatever we're doing, it. Get, I often say, look, for men, use that time to think. Look, leave your stuff at work and work that through what you need, and then when you're when you're ready. Um, you're moving back into another space and you're kind of thinking, OK, this is home and, mm -hmm. and I'm going to I'm not carrying that stuff. Now, it, I'm not it's not easy. Just we're not we can't just split. It's not like that. But at least with we're be, becoming aware of I need to move and trans and through this transition into another space. And so I think that is a problem i mean it's interesting even with online therapy you know there's lots of fours and against you know i mean i've i know that in my practice lots of men basically want to be in the room they want to be face to face yep. now i do do some um zoom still but most men i would say want to be in the room they want to sit down with you they want to be face to face they want to get out they want to move <laughs> And uh, and I think that's really interesting, and I, I I equally like it. And um, I think the interesting thing with therapy is that the journey, you know, the journey to the place, um, and what goes on there, the waiting for for your session, and then the session, then the journey back. Now, if we're doing this on a screen, we can think, well, I'm I'm listening to you, or you're 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 having a therapy session. Um, you're then right. I've got to sort the kids out as soon as Please. I, you know, now, so you've got no space for that kind of decompress yeah. or reflect or, or transition. And do you know what you've just said? I mean, it was a couple of podcasts ago. We talked about even with, let's say, personal development. You know, I've been to a lot of the big events in, in the US and, and this country. And of course, a lot of them got moved online, but there is no substitute for, and as you say, be it therapy or an immersive experience instead of just sitting at a screen. And, and I realize now, so many men do spend a lot of time a looking at a computer screen and then uh, you know yeah, just sure. just looking at that and i wondered for you what's your kind of relationship been like with social media because for a lot of guys i mean to state the obvious you and i didn't grow up with it thank thankfully and most of the guys last night said the same but the guys in their let's say 30s and younger are having to kind of navigate that you know can like, uh, you know, comparing themselves on social media to things. And, but, and of course, there's some good stuff out there on men's health and men's mindset as well. So I want to, you know, for you, what's your thoughts on the, or I should change that question, the guys that you work with, what's their kind of feedback uh, um, on the thoughts of social media and the impact of it? And are you saying in terms of the way that we use it or the amount yeah. of time we use it or what we're hearing and what we're listening to from... Uh, Oh, probably all of those actually because they're all such big things because it, yeah. again it's like some people say i don't use it that much but then it's like well what are you using it for mm. so you can pick any of those really yeah <laughs> well I, I think I, let's just say what what happens for me personally i mean i have a i'm i kind of don't like it but i find it a it's it, it's the thing isn't it in terms of we we can talk with young people and children who are kind of natives in this area you know they've just grown up with it and mm. and for me I find it I can waste a lot of time, you know, I can, in terms of scrolling um, and it's a real difficult discipline that I'm having to work, work with. And I, I try and um, just leave my phone alone. You know, I've like I, I have dog, a dog walk. I, I 
absolutely of a discipline. No, I don't turn my phone at all. And yeah. I find that really useful. Just think, oh, just headspace here, just with my dog in nature. And so, and and I've got also, so I'm trying to leave it all, uh, uh, alone. Be, and, and that's why I like DIY or stuff, because yeah. I'm thinking, I want to get my hands. I don't want that. I just want it. And so I think there's a real discipline there and i know also that when i engage in social media like you know post that you know men or masculinity i again can find myself you can spend you know a long time thinking reflecting and then i'm going to put a really good or clever comment back here you know and uh you know the ego going in there you know all that kind of stuff and i just think really does it really matter they don't that doesn't matter to them it, it wastes so much time with very little stuff coming back you know so i've got an ambivalent um relationship with it i i think it's a constant discipline and all the young people i work with you know who are kind of born with this stuff mm. they're also having to work out a discipline of like you know it becomes so it's natural to them but when what is it doing to me and how can i learn to put it down so some some um uh, clients I work with, couples especially, you know, kind of looking at like, kind of screens in the bedroom. We're talking yeah. about kind of intimacy. You say, well, what? And again, it's so natural to have screens in the bedroom. Might be a big screen, might be a little screens. And one of my views is that you know, and this feels like an old old school stuff. Well, look, just leave screens out of your bedroom. Yeah. You know, if we're taught, we we're talking about sleep and we're talking about intimacy, not that you know, just sex is in the bedroom as it were. Yeah. But but the sense of this is this sleep is almost sacred it's not, and we need to look after it and actually let's give ourselves space from the screens which is a kind of is, and but so many couples you know be in bed and they'll be on their screens you yeah. know <laughs> you know and you think well there's just these disciplines that leave your leave your phone alone leave it in a drawer somewhere or something you know mm -hmm. i have a cover on mine which i kind of People say, oh, what are you got a cover on your phone for? Well, one of the things is that I can't see it flashing up. Yes. You know, so I just can't see anything happening. And I've turned off most of the beeping and all that kind of stuff. Just so I'm not, it's not kind of mastering me, as it were. Mm. Well, you, and you said there about sleep, A, to state the obvious being important, but B, um, I mean, we covered it in our, we've got an online called Energy Protocol course. And we try and cover mindset, fitness, sleep, nutrition, you know, all the things that roll mm. together. But one of the things was trying to create a, let's call it, a, a, you know, a peaceful Zen-like environment in your bedroom and having notifications and stuff. But it was a guy I was listening to the other day but, um, who, and I've done it myself, where you find yourself waking up and the first thing you do is like, especially because you, often people's alarm will be on their phone as well. Yeah. And, you know, we're a big one for trying to get some kind of old school alarm clock because not many people get have the luxury of just waking up whenever they want to yeah. that's yeah. in an ideal world um but i wanted for you um i saw the um the comment by or the quote by brian moore that you had um on your website which is it is possible to come across as bullish argumentative forceful mouthy and yet be absolutely crippled emotionally mm. and i would link that back to it makes me wonder in years to come what people's um reliance on mobile phones and just scrolling how that will affect people because we spoke last night so many people can be keyboard warriors where they're very mm. you know, we can all do it we can, oh, i'm going to write this and this but if you were sitting face to face you probably wouldn't do it and mm. i wondered for you with the primarily the men you work with do you see social media as one of the issues they come to you with or is it just one of the many I would say I hardly ever men in my practice hardly ever talk about social media. Um, I um, then equally they never really talked about COVID neither. You know, yeah. <laughs> people say, "Oh," and and they they didn't. I mean, I generally so I mean just yeah, staying on your on your point. Um, I I mean, it is an issue. I mean, it, and I think, um, but I think it's something about it's a bit like oh, I'll just I'll, I'll flip it over here with young people and parents. Mm. The, the, I, I get a lot of parents talk to me about you know young people using social media or gaming or stuff like that. And, you know, and I know in terms of the research, the hours that, you know, it was only probably about 10 to 15 years ago where we were we were thinking two hours on social media on a screen was yeah. kind of too much. You know, we're now talking about five to six hours a day would be absolutely normal. 
you know so you can get the, you can put in easily a 50 to 60 hour week just on screens for, for young people and that's that's fairly normal i think for a lot, yeah. of, a lot of people um so I, for me it's like we're not going to stop it um it's going to take over some of our time you know it's a bit like you know going back to the past well you know when i was carpenter for instance or it, men men with the newspaper you know, it's just like, right, I'm opening my newspaper, you know, classically at home. Your wife's talking to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Reading the paper. So it, it, it's a, it's a, I don't want to be a, an old codger. The idea of, look, things are developing. We're yeah. not going to we're not going to um, stop this. But so this comes down to kind of a discipline of how are we going to manage it? And I think young people, I trust young people enough that they are going to work this out and say, yeah, if they've got time, they will use that. But equally, when I was a kid, well, I might have been playing out in the garden. I might have been in the den and stuff like that, which I think is all good stuff. Yeah. I, I, again, we we probably don't want to go there, but I think the, the kind of freestyle play for young people and children, there's a real loss there. Mm. And that's partly to do with culture and, and the fear factor within culture and for over over parenting. Um, but but I think there's a sense of look, the world has changed. Um, we've got to cope with it. And but equally, we need like anything. We need to create disciplines around this stuff because it's not going to go away. I know a lot. There is some part of the culture going back to kind of the old, um, you know, non-smartphones. Yeah, which I've, I've kind of considered because I'm thinking, well, because you can the phones there. This amazing computer in the palm of your hand, and why? Because it's it's really attractive. And it's yeah. it's a real way of pulling us out of the moment, isn't it? I think we've it's sometimes you don't realise. I mean, I've done it myself. Um, I spoke ages ago about the I call it like the circle of social media, where I could, you know, I've got my own Instagram account which I rarely use, but still people message on it. I've got the whole Man Academy. You've got LinkedIn. You've got Facebook. Uh, I hate TikTok, and we had an account, but. Then I've got the podcast. We've got our own YouTube channel. You've got Spotify. So you could quite easily look at one, look at the next, look at this, then maybe Twitter and go around. And when you finish all those, you're like, oh, have another look again. Mm -hmm. And like you say, you realize how many hours you've wasted. Yeah. Um, but that goes back to, um, so a couple of weeks ago, I interviewed a guy called Neil Kramer. And he said he thought a lot of the issues men was about men drifting without a compass. And I just wonder if you, if social media isn't one of the issues, if you had to pick the top couple of things that a guy and he, I mean, we could say women as well it doesn't really matter because a lot of the time they might be similar what are the what are the main things that people are struggling with at the moment well I, I think in terms of my work with men so um probably 98 percent of my clients are male right. now I do um advertise myself a, a lot in terms of anger so there's yeah. no doubt that a lot of my work with men is around anger and when we talk about anger particularly rage so okay. I'm I'm really interested in kind of defining anger. And also I just want to say here that um anger gets a bad rap. Um I'm I think all emotions are healthy, but most of when we think about anger, we think of a, a being an unhealthy thing. And we classically go to a, to aggressiveness. But there's a lot more to that. So anger is definitely something I deal with, and, and that's partly the the stuff that I'll work with in terms of around man and masculinity. Um and I think uh, relationships and yeah. communication, the classic stuff, I suppose. But but that and that's kind of ties into my work around emotional fitness um, and kind of uh, helping men to kind of develop in, in, in that way. I think it's such an expensive topic because, you know, the words anger or rage and. Because like you said, often people can feel like that you shouldn't feel those things, but you, you know, for me, I sometimes feel that where you're pissed off because something's happened or something's gone wrong or what have you. And I guess then for you, where do you take that conversation? Because it's, I know you're not trying to fix them. Is it then helping them have better understanding of their thoughts and feelings? If that can try and sum it up. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think for me, look, I, I suppose when we talk about anger with men, I feel that it's um, often, men's default emotion um it's it's almost like if we talk about masculinity it's it's the strong emotion it's the it's the powerful emotion it's the emotion we're allowed you know right early on boys will be boys you know we expect boys to fight that's what they'll do so there's almost like it's sanctioned 
um, you know, men in, and there's a big link here with sanctions with sport as well and what kind of emotions we sanction within the sporting world and why sport is so, so important for men, I think. So I, I think in terms of the work that I would do is to try and help men to understand um, their anger. What is it? And is it the right emotion? Because mm. if it is our default, um, are we then um, seeing anger as a, as a kind of um, a conduit um, for other emotions that may, they may not feel they can express or have not learned how to express? Yeah. But just in terms of just uh, rage, which is the one that I work with most, my view about rage is that um, it, it's it's it, it's the most powerful emotion. And again, there's a real positive thing about mm. rage. You know, it's instinctual. It'll get us out of a lot of trouble um, without <laughs> without violence. You yeah. know, without without abuse as well. Um, but so there's a real healthy side to this. But often we hear about the unhealthy, and I suppose what I say about rage is got um, very little to do with the present and everything to do with the past. So when we hear rage, people talk about rage, it's almost like, you know, the red mist descends. It's like, you know, I, I, it wasn't me. It was like an alien. I, it's something that took mm. over me. You know, I wasn't there. You know, it was almost trance-like. Yes. So, so this idea for me is like, you know, going from zero to 100 in a nanosecond. Um, rationally, there's nothing rational about that, like road rage. It's, it's bonkers. <laughs> there's nothing. But... But if we took put it into a psychological idea, then it's there's this sense of that look, um, if we say it's got everything to do with the past, it's almost like what am I hearing? And I, I think there's a real link between rage and unhealthy or toxic shame, which mm -hmm. makes us feel smaller, we go lower, and then with from that small place we go into a bit like the Hulk, go into this huge bit. And yeah. it's like, go on the attack because actually we feel massively under threat at that point. And I think having a psychoeducational understanding of what is going on there, as in, I think often rage is the trigger for rage is um, being belittled, patronized, um, you know, treat, treated like a child, ignored, disrespected, anything like that. It will you know, invisible, anything that says actually. I'm, I'm, you're, you're treating me like shit, and yeah. I need to actually um, assert myself. But in the in the assertion, it goes into harming often mm -hmm. other people, and of course, self. There's some great points there, and I just you flipped it back to as you were saying. I was thinking, you know, we're not taught any of this as we're growing up, to state the obvious. So yeah. for most men, in you know, me as much as anybody else. I'd never thought about any of that stuff probably till I was in my mid thirties and started to look around a bit more mm. and going back to the, let's say kids and young men, I just wondered, you know, where do you even start with trying to help? Because you're not necessarily trying to have children go to therapy because you want it to be that they just, it's just part of growing up. I just wondered, where do you start with helping a, and it doesn't have to be a child, but you know, a young guy kind of, channel his rage if that's the best thing because yeah you're not trying to stop it you're saying it's it's a reaction and it's a feeling what have you but it's about well, what do you do with it you know do you punch someone or do you channel it in a hopefully a better way well i think absolutely i mean i suppose the way i work with rage is that number one that we need to i call it the emergency break we need to pull, pull on a break because we don't ultimately the first thing is we don't want to do damage to other people and or ourselves and yeah. so I think there is a real discipline and work to do there and working out the triggers and 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 what's going on in our body. And I often say, look, rage out of all of the anger kind of modes, if you like, is embodied. It's that's why, you know, we're just we're lost. You know, mm -hmm. we're not there and we're doing things that we wouldn't kind of think of. So the work of being in our body is really important. I often say that men work their bodies, they beat their bodies, they build their bodies, they shred their bodies. Very few men listen to their bodies. So mm -hmm. that kind of reconnection with body is really important. I think women have definitely got an advantage over us about the body because, well, frankly, they bleed. So they're in tune with their body and they, they yeah. in terms of um, if they um, become mothers, you know, they, they have they endure that kind of pain. Us as men, we just kind of get a bit fatter, you know, <laughs> you know, nothing changes to our bodies, really, yeah. you know, unless you want you're actively trying to build them with muscle and stuff like that. 
Um, so I think in terms of young people and rage, I, I my view is that number one, I'm not. I've I've done rage. I've absolutely raged in, in yeah. my life, and it's scary for me. It's scary for the people around. What and makes I, you rage? What what would be because I I was going to say, you know, a lot of the guys listening to this will be when I say young dads, but fathers. And I would say for myself, until I had kids, I can't remember the last time I was in a rage because I'm a pretty chilled out person. But kids are a totally different animal, and there's no control of them. And sometimes they do stuff, and it pisses you off or fuck something up and they don't get it and they just kind of laugh and you're like and you you feel it coming out and you're like where's yeah. it come from yeah what well, and, you into a rage or what did but maybe you know not to say you wouldn't but what kind of stuff would kind of you know get well, get I, get that going yeah well i think you're you're spot on exactly when i raised as well when my children were young younger <laughs> and and so i think it's a it's quite a common thing but i mean actually my first rage um was when i was quite recently um, uh, married to my wife, um, and well, it was it was a rage. It was a kind of primal scream. It was like, and and this, um, it came from a really long way of, of behind me. You know, um, it was definitely in the past. But and for my poor wife, she thinks, "What the fuck have I married here?" <laughs> you know, you know, what is this? Who is this? I had to go into therapy after that. I definitely did. This was what the way before I was a, a therapist. Yeah. Um, but I think that that was to do with the the mother. It was to do with the the, the connection with mother woman and the kind of all the stuff that was within my relationship with my mother. So, and I think actually, you know, most rage. Yes, we talk about road rage and stuff like that. But most rage is in the home and to our intimates, is to mm. our, our wives or to our children. Now, now, why is that? Well, of course, because we, we're generally more real at home, aren't we? We we show our full self because we know that we're loved and that they're not generally going to reject us. They're going to they're going to come back to us. So it feels mm. safe to express that stuff. But you're absolutely right in terms of I think when we are taken on, as it were, by little people, you know, in our heads, we're thinking, hold on, I'm bigger. I've, you know, I would never treat my my adult or parent perhaps like this, you know, and when I was your age, I would have just, you know, obeyed as it were, perhaps, yes. or there's a sense of we go into when we're, that we don't get what we're wanting from our children, we go into that small place, and this is what I'm, I mean by the less than place of shame, so mm. the idea I feel small, and so I feel out of control, I feel powerless. But these things that men don't want to feel, we spent a lot of years trying to feel powerful, in control, strong, you yeah. know. And so that's where I think rage to children and to our, our, our partners, often it's nearly always triggered by um, being patronised. Again, it goes to the small place. You're treating me like a child. You're thinking, <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. You've seen me as stupid. And, and so then it go, go, erupts. So it's always, I think, rage in that. Oh, that unhealthy rage is all to do with um, smallness. And because, you know, the masculine, the, the rules of, of being a man is all about big. It's yeah. being big. It's being powerful. It's being in control. I think I laugh because... If I, and again, I had these kind of conversation with, you know, either friends or, and or, you know, friends through the whole man academy or sometimes podcast guests after we've stopped recording where you'll be chatting about something. And I said that a long time ago, throughout my early years, I, I was never a fighter. Uh, you know, I, I was too busy chasing girls, to be honest. That was what I put my energy into. And that's what You're I a was, lover. That's it. That's, that's what I was, that was my energy. Um, but I, I always find it interesting with men's relationships with their fathers and, and, and mothers as well. But, I've said plenty of times, you could say all of the mates of mine who always seem to get into fights or seem to have the most issues, all of them, I'm not saying it means that it's an absolute, but for all of those, was because they either didn't have a father figure around or they did. And basically he didn't show them, you know, he, he wasn't there for them very much. Mm -hmm. I just wondered for you, you know, what do you see is the effect on, because just because you've got a dad around, it doesn't mean it's necessarily good because it depends what kind of person they are. And I wondered what your thoughts are on how important it is to have that father figure to know, guide, guide you as a growing up as well. Well, I'm massive. I mean, in psychology, we, we, we talk about the, the wound of the father. There's a wound of the mother as well. So which the, the concept means that kind of lack of, not enough, 
not enough good enough father yeah now 95 percent of the men i've worked with individually and in groups would would have a problem with their father they haven't they're not there's a lack of there's a wound so this is a really common thing a chapter in my book about it as well um and and so I, I often say, look, whether you knew your father, whether you live with your father, whether your father is alive or dead, it doesn't matter. There's the, the relationship with the father, like the mother, is massively important. Yeah. And and we learn a lot from our father. And what I, what I think number the, the big thing, if we are living with our father, what we learn, we learn about um, how to express emotions or how not to express emotions because yeah. most men i would say most fathers unfortunately and i think you know and we can talk about is it changing or not i i think are ultimately sometimes physically isolated and nearly always emotionally isolated and so what we learn from men and i think this is a difficult message in terms of we what we learn about emotions at that stage is we're you know we're looking up to our fathers little boys and thinking Okay, he may. What what emotions do we see from him? We might see. We probably see anger, yeah. but do we see any tears? Do we see any sadness? Do we see any other emotions? Anxiety and vulnerability. Do we see them? And probably not. And so, what we learn is self reliance. And so, we learn that I've got to deal with these emotions in inside, and I've got to rely on myself. Now, this self reliance, in many ways, you could think oh, that's pretty good. It's pretty positive. And of course, we want people to be self reliant. But when it comes to relationships, and often I think when um, couples get to me, one of the issues is 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 self-reliance, because ultimately, if we rely totally on ourselves, we don't trust the other the other person. We don't mm -hmm. open up to them because I think we've learned I've got to deal with this stuff by myself. And that's where we could talk about, you know, the man cave, the physical man cave, the psychological man cave, the, the idea of what we've learned, to, what, how to manage are difficult emotions um i realized we could do a five-hour podcast on this because and it's funny because so many of the guys i talk to you realize there's there's so much to unpack for men and um the other one was about i mean you said the word shame and mm. I, I think that's really interesting because you just don't hit to state the obvious no you don't hear people talking about shame and the effects of as a child if um and i probably can't put this very uh eloquently but you know, I've noticed where sometimes you don't mean to, but we, we try to be very mindful of, you know, when your child does something wrong is not shaming them or kind of, you know, and, it, and it's a real tightrope because sometimes you react to something. And I wondered then if you brought the, the shame level into it, where do you start with guys if they're kind of talking to you or in the book, or et cetera, about the issue of shame? Because I guess a lot of guys don't even realize maybe that they've got it inbuilt in them. No, and and shame. I mean, you're right. Even us, for us as men to be talking about shame, yeah. I think is quite rare. And I know that sometimes I don't enough. I always do bring it into the room, but men don't want to talk about it. I mean, I think um, ultimately, instinctively, we know shame, and it's because when um, Brené Brown. Um, she's written a few few books and she's written a book on on shame she mm. did some research with with women on shame and then the, uh, she started to do some on men and she said uh, what men understand by shame is two two things um weakness and failure mm -hmm. and and these are the things that men don't want to go anywhere near and, you know it's a bit like you know men not saying those words of I made a mistake or I'm sorry, um, you know, the, the really difficult places. So so we don't want to admit that actually we may have messed up or we made a mistake because that would mean that I would go into shame. Um, um, and I think, you know, I talk in my book about the, you know, the kind of shame cycle. But I do think if we don't get in touch with our internal shame and I think there is a there's a gender shame on men. Um, and, and what I mean by that is, um, is the shaming on men is very different to the shaming on women. Women are generally shamed for their, their, their you know, in terms of their looks, their size, um, their nurturing ability, um, their, you know, so yeah, that, those kind of things. And, and men, we're shamed just for being a man. You know, so man up, you know, what sort of man are you, man or mouse? Well, our masculinity, our view of men of being a man is is very slippery. 
And that's why I think we're constantly having to keep running and moving to make sure that I can be seen mm. as a man. And that is exhausting. And but that underneath that is the you know the gender shaming of well you know you're, you're really not much of a man are you because and i think it's interesting as i talk about this because um i can get this shame by other men because um i may not hold to their views of what their masculinity is and think and they're almost like well you know you're not much of a man are you, you know do you know I mean and it's so it's fascinating men use it women use it you know um and so i think shame I, if we're going to grow as men, we have to do our work on shame and shame resilience. And it's doing the work um, and going back to um, a couple of podcasts ago, where you said, I think so many people and I said it wrong when I said people are too busy. What I meant was people are too distracted by life and things to actually, you know, to have these uncomfortable conversations, mm -hmm. which is mm -hmm. why, you know, a lot of men you see if you if you talk to them, they would probably just bury their head in the sand, mm. but maybe they'd listen to a podcast because they can do it quietly instead of expressing it yeah. out in front. And it also comes back to, I mean, when I worked in the city, you know, you, you might be on a broken floor or primarily a trading, sorry, a broken floor with like 300 other men. Mm. So these conversations aren't being had at all. Mm. And it's hard for men to find the opportunities to even discuss this, if that makes sense. Mm. Um, and I wondered for you, um, I know you'd written about um, like practical tips to build emotional muscle. And I always think for guys, the, the simpler, the better, if that makes sense. Mm. And it's like, if you had to, I'm not saying you have to pick three of the best ones, but like one or two ideas. Because if a guy's like, yeah, do you know what? I need to work on this stuff. But it's like, okay, well, where do I actually start? Mm. Mm. Yeah, so I mean, when I talk about emotional muscle, it's kind of this emotional fitness program, a kind of um, 5k couch to 5k kind of idea that and I think we as men, we are kind of generally behind because of what we've learned about masculinity and, and how to express our emotions. So for me, a, a key one in the title in my book, I suppose, you know, like feelings are like a foreign language. So, so it's almost like learning another language and it's not just language, it's not just verbal, but it is with our body body as well. So I very rarely ask men in my practice how they feel because mm -hmm. they'll probably tell me, say things like, okay, not bad, fine, all right. Oh, There's the kind yes. of six words <laughs> and, that, and that's all we've got. And they give us nothing apart from, I should always be okay. That's what you expect from me, isn't it? So this is a kind of emotional trap for a lot of young, uh, for a lot of boys and men that they've learned, I should always be okay. I should not be needy. I should not have any wants. And and so right there, it's quite so even and this is one of the questions we ask as we start our men's group. Um, what do you need? It's a frightening question. Yeah. You know, what do I need? Need me? I'm absolutely <laughs> sorted, mate. You know, uh, so that takes us into that place of vulnerability. So in terms of things to do. Um, I always say, look, you know, we need to, it's, it's, it's about disciplines. It's about creating healthy habits, little habits. And I want to, I want to try and help men to stack habits on right. to uh, already habits. So it's not like a burden. So one of the things I say, look, if we want to become more emotionally aware, we need to start having regular check-ins with ourselves, with our body and with ourselves. So that could be when we go to the toilet, ask ourselves a question, um, you know, um, I've just had a text in the last hour. I could have had a, a conversation with a with a client. Um, I could have had a memory pop into my head. Um, I could have had um, a communication with my wife or my partner. Yeah. And there's a there's a possibility of, of getting loads of feelings there. Most of us, we just miss them. So I say, look, if the more we check in with ourselves in emotionally, is that we so, so to make that normal. So tag tag that on to something mm. um the other thing with within that is absolutely listen to our body start to connect to our body what's going on in our body are we feeling tension in our shoulders what's going on in our face kind of being becoming a lot more tuned to that um and also face is really important i think so um i think men again we've adopted a kind of poker face you know that default resting face so sometimes i say to men like when you go into the bathroom have a look in the mirror 
What's your face telling you? What's it telling everybody else? Is that being congruent? Does it match your inner world? And then I, in some of the groups I do, we'll, we'll actually, it's, it's kind of fun, but it's kind of almost like childlike, yeah. but we'll start moving our face. So we might pass a smile around. Like, you know, it's like interesting, isn't it? On Even on screen, you can probably see yourself. I can see myself. It's quite interesting. What do I look like? I found my default face in a rear view mirror of my car and I'm thinking, oh my God, <laughs> this is what people see when I'm at rest, you know? And yes. so I'm I'm trying to practice moving, like, you know, like, and just because I think we are, we do have this default face and we, we just need to start moving it and expressing it because we often hear from women, especially, I have no idea what he's thinking. I do not know what's going on inside of his head because mm. our faces don't move. We don't <laughs> express ourselves. So we have to practice kind of reconnecting with the emotional world, emotional language. And another mm. little thing, which I often say is, is that's kind of second part of my emotional fitness program is what is um, vocab. We need more words. This is where the foreign language. So if we've only got those six words, okay, not bad, fine, all right, normal, we need to uh, um, advance our vocab. So, and that means, I mean, I use a feeling wheel. We've got one in my book, you know, in terms of, right, let's, 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 let's get more language. Let's practice that language. So I often say, take three feeling words off that feeling wheel, build them into your language for the day or for the week. So it sounds a bit weird to put on that feeling wheels in, but uh, words in, but actually it's a bit like learn a foreign language. The more we try it, it the more natural it, it becomes. So I think that's, we have to do that kind of practice and, and work with that. And for me, kind of, it sounds boring and it kind of is, but I think we need to work with that. The other thing I think in, in being with our body is, you know, what have we learned about how to move emotions in our body? I know that when I get to certain places, I I'm, I'm I, I like moving, I like dancing, uh, stuff like that. So I will, and and music will move me. And I think there's really interesting to you listen to why is that music moving me, and and does it move my body? And then is that a place to release that those those feelings? The same with films. When we're watching films, we might sit in a room. We might find tears streaming down our face. The, the, the emotional fitness is, well, what is that about? What, mm. what happened there? You know, a bit like me, I always talk about, you know, kind of Billy Elliot, you know, old film. But, you know, the, the thing is all about the relationship between the boy and the father. Yes. The, 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 the way the father turned around and loved his son. And, and for me, that, that just always will bring tears to my eyes and, and take me back to that, that relationship. I love that thing of finding, you know, finding what works for you. And fun enough, last night at the dinner, I was talking about how much, uh, and I spoke to it twice this week, how much I miss going to nightclubs. And right. that would that would be a release. And I was very much a dancer. I wasn't a prop the bar up. Me and my mate yeah. Tom, our rule was, and you, we were on a budget when we were young, so you yeah. knew how much it cost to get in, how much would six pints and a couple of shots be, the, the important stuff. Yeah, yeah. But from like 11 o'clock, we would be on the dance floor till two. And that would be a emotional release then you know physical release and you yeah. realize let's face it for most men over let's just say 35 they'll be like well, when was the last time you went anywhere and danced let alone at a nightclub yeah, yeah. No, and exactly. that can be one of those other things that you've you know i missed that i've lost that mm. um i don't know that experience but like you say when you put music on that can take you back to somewhere and just i don't know maybe get you out of your own head a little bit exactly. um, now i wanted to ask you um, I'm always interested to talk to guys who've written books because a lot of guys I know want to write a book. They don't always necessarily know, you know, what it exactly going to be about, but not just what was it like writing the book and how long did it take you? Because I know for some people it flows out of them. Other people are like, do you know what it, you know, I had a, a, a block at some point. So what was the experience like for you? Hard work. Um, <laughs> really hard yeah, this is the second book. I, I I started a book when my 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 boys were quite young, and um, I, I think I think I wrote about 40,000 40, words. Just just stopped, couldn't couldn't do it anymore. Then so came back to it probably another ten years after that to write the um, the Secret Lives of Men. Now that took me seven, probably at least seven years wow. to write. You know, so it. Yeah, there was a lot of stuff in there and I, I think I needed it because of all the work that I was doing with men in, in groups and training and, and individually. So, mm. uh, so 
it was slow process. I think I could write another book a lot quicker. Although I say that I've been trying to write another book for a while, but it's, it's just it's just because um, I yeah I I like writing, but yeah. it it's hard work. Do you start off with it? Let's say if we pick the secret lives of men as the as the as the book we're talking about. Did you start off with a? I mean, firstly, some people get a book coach, or you have a complete framework, or was it kind of like let's see what comes out of you? Because I know you, you, different people f have found different ways of executing the same thing, basically. Yeah, I no, I think I just just something that came out of me really, um, and that's why it took a lot longer because I I kind of I was writing this stuff and bits and chapters and stuff like that, or they didn't even have chapter headings, and then the wrong way around really but i think it was the right way around for me i kind of had got a structure and then the, the actual finished structure did not come it come a fair way behind the process and then i because i took it to editors and people and they i got feedback and so before the, the, the i think after the second edit i think i then wrote the introduction um uh and it and then divided it into three parts which it came together and i was really pleased with the way it came together but it it took a long time of of, of moving i think it's really good to hear because you know it's a bit like social media you can look at other people and what they're doing and what they achieve or how much money they've got and how many views or what have you and you realize that everybody has their own path and you know some people can achieve things very quickly and I think the other point is you know, some people outsource it. So they, you know, I've read some books where you realize that actually it was ghostwritten. Yeah. So, uh, so, which is in my view, cheating, but ultimately, if, you know, if you produce a good book, you produce a good book, but yeah. if you're going to sit and do it yourself, um, uh, that's one of the main things I hear from guys is saying, uh, not, not saying it's the most important thing, but they're like, you know, I'd love to write a book. Um, and I, I, I've been kind of, what's the word? jotting down the ideas of the book that I at some point will write, which will be becoming a whole man. And yeah. that meaning, mm. that's why it's really good to talk to you today, because it isn't just about morning routine, cold showers and how much money you've got in the bank and how fit you are. It is your emotional intelligence, emotional fitness. Mm. But also I wanted for you, when you kind of even go one step higher, like spirituality and soul. And I just wondered where you sit on discussions on that, because again, it's such a, some people, completely believe in God, which is great. Other people think it's total rubbish. Other people aren't sure. And I just wonder where you are on that as well. Well, hey, that's a good question. And that takes me right back because I, as a young man, boy, I started out in going to church. I was, I was in, I was in the kind of very strong kind of evangelical wing of the church. Yeah. Um, and I was working in, I, after I finished sort of carpentry, I went into youth work and most of that was in the church or in youth organizations, working in inner cities with the, and doing detached youth work, all that kind of stuff, living in communities and stuff like that. So, I mean, it's a big part of where I am. And I mean, part of what, what got me moving from that was that I, um, I kind of burnt out at that point, you know, it was probably just early 30s, mid 30s. And then I went away to, um, and this is the only thing at that point in my life I, I could actually feel like I, I could do. I went away to live in a, a in a retreat place, um, a kind of Celtic spirituality, if you like, um, for in the middle of uh, Northumberland. Um, and you know in this really out of the way and um it was then that i started to get quite deep into spirit a different kind of spirituality a lot more and i like the, the kind of celtic stuff very earthy very connected to the earth and environment and the past and and stuff like that so it's definitely part of my roots i haven't for the last 15 odd years been involved in kind of um church or you know uh, stuff like that um it doesn't really it, 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 i i think if i was to find the right place in terms of uh, a kind of non-dogmatic um uh a embracing spirituality and certainly i think some of that's maybe outside the church hmm. i it makes a lot of sense to me i certainly i'd, I'd probably call myself a trustful agnostic um so that i embracing not knowing and I think even embracing not knowing in my my whole life is a real liberation. And and like I've not I don't have to that, that sense of kind of letting go of ego almost. Like you know I'm not saying I have let go of all of ego, but the practice of yeah. you know um, 
the idea of uh, I don't need to prove anything, I don't need to be anything, I don't need to know, is such a liberating thing. So there, I think there's a lot of rich resources mm -hmm. um, in spirituality. There's a lot of stuff also within man and masculinity that has come out of kind of the, the spiritual world as well. It's, it's a big topic and, um, you know, the last two podcasts, um, we interviewed a guy called Jim Kyles, who I kept getting his name wrong accidentally because it's J-I-M and then an N on it, which I've never seen before. So, you know, you just naturally type it wrong. Mm. But he was a, um, a pastor out in the States. So I mm. found it really interesting to talk to him and Neil yep. Kramer, who was the previous podcast, who spoke very much about his kind of journey of exploration of God and et cetera. And I, and I realized for me, until I was about 40, quite frankly, I didn't... I, I, I just wasn't interested mm. whereas now I'm at that age where you're like once you have kids or for me I'm like what do I tell them what do I teach them because if I don't know myself oh, and it's okay to say I don't know but it's funny how it makes you reflect a bit like yeah. you said looking in the mirror at your own face yeah and you're like what is the truth what is mm. um and the other thing I was going to say is um what I liked about your book is I think for guys they need like you said practical tips and advice you know you, you can get highly um expansive on different things you know i've read some books where i read it and i'm like i don't really understand what how, how the average man is going to implement this stuff yeah. but for you it's the it's the practical tips and and last question i was going to ask you i know we're coming up to our our uh, kind of hourish time but who are the men who you've either read or looked up to or followed you know be it in the last few years or, or in the last 20 30 years i'm always interested to hear because sometimes it's people i've never heard of yeah, so great. Um, so who are the books? Um, I'm just looking, I've got my bookshelf here. I've got loads of books on, on masculinity. So I think one of the the key guys for me was a chap called Terence Real. Um, he's written lots of books on um, relationships, actually. But well, I think his first book was I Don't Want to Talk About It. Um, and it's <laughs> right. I'm just, just going to get off here. What's the subtitle? Um, yeah. Overcoming the Secret Legacy of Male Depression. Really full book, really powerful book. Um, and I think a lot of the other books, I've, I've got a book in terms of the, the, the men's circle or circle of men, men's groups, guy called uh, Bill Kauf. Um, he was the kind of almost seen as the godfather of, of men's groups and he's basically got a book that is really practical and, and useful um, in terms of all of that kind of stuff. And the other book that is written, which was one of my key books in terms of masculinity, is called The Will to Change, by, not by man, but by Bell Hooks. Um, and she's a, a, well, she's unfortunately died a couple of years ago, but she's a feminist. And I think it's a really interesting book coming from that perspective. Mm. And this book is a beautiful book in terms of the way she, she wants and describes men and masculinity in a relationship with her father. So that for me actually was a really instinctive in hearing from a woman about men and their their love for men as well. Mm. I think it's really interesting, firstly, because um, there's like a new wave of, let's say, men. Who, I mean, let's use Jordan Peterson, for example. Um, you know, I know a lot of men that really enjoy his content. He cries a bit too much on screen as if, uh, for me, I'm always wondering where, um, you know, I always wonder if people get promoted very, very highly on social media, do they get pushed by someone or is it just organic? But what I love you just said is three people I've never heard of. Yeah. So it's refreshing to have people that I'm always looking to try. And when guys ask me, I don't want to just say the normal and because guys go, yeah, I've heard that, I've heard that. So to have three new ones for me is yeah. kind of like you've unearthed something. Yeah. Um, I always add it to my, I've got a long list of different <laughs> books and yours is on there of yeah. when guys say, well, where should I start? I'm like, well, look, there's no necessarily starting, but why don't you pick these three books, ask yeah. them for your birthday and, and, and work through them from there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but brilliant. And I love talking to you because I think it's so interesting. And for guys to just, you know, hopefully we've given, especially you've given guys just something to think about that being strong and silent isn't the way, I mean, mm. if they want to be, that's fine. But, you know, our events were built on the joy of getting guys together to talk. And it doesn't have to be that you're weeping on each other's shoulder. It's mm. like just saying, like you said, you know, how, you know, what can I, what can I do for you? Or what do you need? And you've been like, do you know what? Things are a bit shit at the moment. And people go, oh yeah, I'm going through that. So, oh, you yeah. as well. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. 
So that, it's... just to jump in there, that is the most important thing I think about getting men together. The the sense of um, breaking this kind of um, not kind of normalization idea that actually when men are together. They can talk, they will talk, and they can be vulnerable, and that it's contagious. And it's like, exactly as you said, one man can say something, oh, what, you as well? You know, and that's such a liberating thing of yeah. that, that kind of normalization process. And that takes people, men out of their isolation. So yeah. massively important stuff, that. Uh, I, I really appreciate you coming on because, again, I've, you know, now we're up to, I mean, this will be the last podcast before Christmas. This will go out on the 23rd of December. Okay. So. Okay. For some men, I'm lucky that we'll have a Christmas surrounded by family and quite frankly, you'll be knackered by the end of it. But for some men, if you haven't got a partner or maybe you're spreading family that you fucking hate, <laughs> you know, I, you know, know some men that are like, yeah, I'm with, um, you know, especially if they've got, um, what's the word, you know, maybe they're divorced and they're with a different family or something like that. So it's a reminder for guys that, um, you know, even at festive times, even if you can find a book or a podcast or something that you can I hate to use the word escape, but you can listen to yep. that just gets you, I don't know, your, your mind in the right, uh, or, you know, your mind in the right frame, if that's, uh, yeah. that's the right saying. And um, how's the best way if a guy wants to read a book, I guess, I hate to say Amazon, but or would it be to go to a website or? Yeah, I, I, well, yes, Amazon is, unfortunately, you can get my book off other websites, but Amazon is the key one. And, and I just like to say here also, I have made an audio version and I'm hoping it's going to be released uh, the 1st of December or around Please. there. So, cause I know that a lot of people read my book, a lot of women read my book, but, and I know that men listen to books. So I'm hoping this will be a, another way. And that book will be available on Amazon, but also the um, author Republic. So it's a bit more of an independent. Um, so, yeah. That's, that's great. And funny enough, on that point, um, I haven't checked recently, but the last time I looked, I think 25% of our podcast listeners are female. Which is funny because it's it's men talking to men about men's stuff and it makes you realize there's a huge demand from women to just understand what is going on in a man's head and, and we don't know either so good <laughs> well it, that, that's exactly it but that's what i what, that's the part of the reason i wrote my book because and just to, i know we've run out of time no, it's all right. but, but there's stuff about um when i before i wrote my book i put on a couple of work, workshops or you know open events that were free one was um uh the this well basically 10 tips how to understand men that was for women and that they were generally full you know 10 tips on how they will do the work women i think actually for men often men, women will ring me up you know send, want to send their husband to me or stuff like that yeah. i then equally put on an, a kind of an mot for men you know and no man turned up <laughs> so but so the women so the book really i know that women will read the book and get the book into the hopefully on the coffee table or something yeah but for, and I've, I, as you know i've written the book in terms of it's a it's a it's fairly big you know it's, it's lots of um boxes and stuff like that so you can flick through it and start and I'm, I'm kind of hoping that if you can get it into the hands of men then they may they don't have to read it all just read yeah. some a little bit because that is the way the book is meant to be really I laugh because um, you uh, beautifully touched on a point, which I would say one of the hardest things for the whole man academy was getting bums on seats, yeah. being men, because often I had women saying, I love your idea. I wish you did a women's one. I'd come with Jane and Claire and Sue and whoever, mm. whereas the men would generally come on their own. Yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> you know, the only event where we then had groups was we had, um, I don't know if you know who David Gandhi is, but he's our like ambassador and, you know, he's, that I think he's been on more front covers than any man in the world because he's right. a style icon. So when he spoke at one of our events um, at Geeves and Hawks in, on uh, Savile Row, mm. we had 65 guys in the room, which was you know really right. good. Mm. Um, and that was the only event where you saw like five guys all came together. And the important point here is, and hopefully you see where I'm going with this, I want the whole Man Academy events to be a aspirational experience, mm. not a... I'm going to an event and I don't tell people. I want people to be like, hey, I'm going to this great event where James Horsey's speaking and this person and this guy and this guy. Mm -hmm. It was great. And I'm maybe I'm getting dressed up for it as opposed to I'm going to a, an Ibis hotel with shitty carpet and we're going to sit around and... Yeah, so it, it's no, a that's great. It's, you're, break, you're talking about breaking the stigma. And I think absolutely, if we can just make this natural, normal stuff, this is what we, we as men do. No, no shame in it absolutely that's right off my my hymn sheet you know the idea of 
breaking if we can break this stigma that and i suppose that's why i, I talk about you know look we'll, we'll equally talk about uh, physical fitness but if we can just like emotional fitness you know you, you're feeling every moment of every day why wouldn't you want to exercise those emotions and get to know yeah. those emotions but because the stigma is still there but if you what you're doing and the great work you're doing and the idea of look, we do this is what we as men do this is just yeah. normal stuff fantastic yeah. That, that's one of the biggest things I've I've only ever found one person that didn't quite get, and I, I appreciate they didn't understand what I was trying to do because maybe I didn't put it across, but that's why bringing in a mixture of guys like yourself who maybe can have a, let's call it a clinical uh, viewpoint, but then having, you know, special forces guys, footballers, yeah. cryptocurrency experts, entrepreneurs, all these different guys to make you realise that, everybody has challenges and they're going to keep throwing them at you <laughs> left, right and centre. Sure. And it is kind of, you know, it's up to you how you deal with them has been, um, has been one of the big messages. But, well, look, I appreciate your time. Uh, I always say this at the end because uh, we're not too far away from each other. So hopefully at some point we will, uh, we will meet either for a, at an event or, uh, or something in London or something like that. Because yeah. No, I love that. That would be great. It's, it's, I think it's important for us guys to not just connect but stay connected um and you know promote each other's messages which are always helpful um, so i will let you go i appreciate your time and i will speak to you soon james brilliant well thank you for having me on i've really really enjoyed it lovely thank you mate cheers thanks for listening remember to sign up to our game-changing weekly e-letter that's read by men around the world sign up at wholemanacademy.com forward slash movement until next time 